If you're into designer furniture and you want the sofa that broke the internet, you don't have to go broke to get it. Because Designer Looks Furniture has all the same styles and trends and all the quality, but without the designer prices. Check them out. Designer Looks at Value City Furniture or designerlooks.com. Hello everybody and welcome to the 1875 podcast. We've got a very special guest with us today, uh, someone who's got some great memories of Blackburn hopefully and we certainly have great memories of, of him playing for us. Um, we're going to be talking to Craig Short today, who obviously was a, a mainstay of our side as we won promotion back into the Premier League. Um, are you with us now Craig? How, yeah, how you yeah. Good, yeah. Good, good morning Andy, good morning everyone, good morning. Good morning, um, got a, a little a little boy downstairs, is it? Yeah, I've got a five-year-old, yeah. So I've got two daughters. When I, when I was at Blackburn, they were growing up when I was playing there. Um, and then I, when I came back to Blackburn as coaching, um, I've, I've remarried and I've got a little, a little boy who's five. So, yeah, two girls and a boy. But there's a, big, a, bit, of an age, a bit of an age gap. And I don't feel an old dad, but it, it, it's, um, it's certainly, uh, well, homeschooling at the moment is a little bit trying. As oh, I can, yeah, I, I can that's that's the same for, every, for everyone. <laughs> Yeah, I think yeah, I think a lot of people can identify with that. Certainly at the moment, I was I was just telling you I've got a three-year-old and a two-year-old downstairs, so um, yeah. we certainly certainly feel each other's pain here. And you talk about not feeling like an old dad. I think I do, even though I'm probably about ten years younger than you are. So um, we'll get on to. Um, I, I want to ask you because I, I wasn't sure myself before I started um, speaking to you. Are you still involved in the game in any way? Yeah, I got my old job back at Derby, so I left Derby to come and join Blackburn and with Gary Boyer, which was a treat for me coming back to coach at the old club. Um, and then as soon as I lost my job, Darren Wassell, the academy manager, asked me to go back and do the 23. So I've been very, very lucky to get back into the game and I've been there since my sacking at Blackburn. So um, it's developing players. It's not the same as the first team, but it's still very, very enjoyable. And I'm very fortunate to be back in the game, really. Well, I'll just start with that, coming back to coach with us. We had a question here from uh, Rock and Run 85 from Twitter, and he just he's quite blunt he's, with his questions. He just asks yeah. what went wrong when he went, what went wrong when he was coaching us, he says. So did anything go wrong or was it just one of those things? I, I, you know, I look, at, I, I look at Gary, what Gary did at the time. Um, you know, he took on a club that was in free fall um, and he had to get a lot of the big earners out and he did that successfully. Um, and uh, the recruitment policy, I know the Blackburn fans are obviously desperate to bounce straight back and get back out. But I've, you know, I've had promotion out of that league three times as a player. And it's so difficult. So, so difficult. You know, we did, we obviously made mistakes at times. Um, we had, you know, me and Gary still speak now. We debate about Josh King. Would you play him more centrally? But you had Jordan Rhodes and Rudy scoring freely. Um, we had a good cup run, that, you know, the Liverpool when we went to Anfield in the quarterfinals and we, we were just outside the playoffs. And I think the Sheffield Wednesday away game, I remember we, us drawing that one. If we'd won that, we'd have been in the playoffs. But yeah, we, 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 didn't, we did things wrong. But you look at Gary's time, I think, you know, he, he doesn't shout about himself. You know, he, he's one of those very, very reserved managers. But his recruitment policy, you look at the players that are sold on, they, hopefully they, they help get the club back on a stable footing. And, you know, two and a half years in a job now isn't 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 bad when you see the turnaround of managers. So I learned I learned lots from it. You know, it was my first experience coaching that level. 
I could have done things differently and done things better. But I was also, you know, I was thrilled to come back. It was a real big thrill for me to come back, and you know, and, and I enjoyed it. It was it was great to come back. But as I said, that that league is such a difficult league to get out of. You know, I'm, I'm at Derby now. We spent fortunes, and we still can't get out of the club, out of the league. So it's not easy. As you say, you were a bit of an expert at getting out of that league as a player. But, you know, I feel like it's become even more difficult over the time with the money in the Premier League, trying to filter it down to some of the teams and parachute payments and yep. the inequality. And like you say, you and Gary were there at a time as coaches where we were having to cut our cloth accordingly. We'd obviously spent a, a bit of money on Jordan, bringing him in right as we try and get straight back. But once that didn't happen... Um, I know it was very difficult and looking through the accounts um, I saw that Swiss Ramble the Twitter account published the accounts over the course of the last 10 years and what you guys were having to work with in that spell was a very very trying time and trying to rebalance the the books was a very difficult job for you really. Well I think you know when you look at Gary's you know Shane Duffy's gone on to the premiership Tom Kenny's an outstanding player um, Grant you know continued to, to improve Grant Hanley so it was you know, Rudy, so he bought for 200 and sold for three million. So I like, you like to think that, you know, Gary just got it back on a firm platform and, 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 and Tony's obviously taking it on, which is, you know, and they're, and they're, and they're competitive again. But he, he went in, you know, when I walked into the club, it wasn't the club I recognised as a, as a player when I left it years ago. You know, it was in free fall and there was a lot of work to be done. And I thought Gary, Gary really got hold of it and grasped, grasped it, especially when he had no managerial, managerial experience in the, before that, you know. Yeah, and I think he's done on. He did good, good things at Blackpool and hasn't quite worked out at Bradford, but I'm sure he'll oh. he'll get another job somewhere. And uh, very recently, one of our writers, um, Glenn Entwistle, I think it was, wrote a, a fantastic piece saying that Gary Boyer uh, was his Rovers hero because of what he managed to do for. I saw, I saw that, and yeah, I did. It. I saw it. it was very, very well written. You know, it was nice to give him some recognition. Absolutely, and I think the the feedback that we got from that was that a lot of Rovers fans do feel that way about Gary Boyer. And well, what he, what he did as well, Andy, he brought the club together in a way, and this is probably people don't don't know this, but he used to take the staff out, all the staff and the players out, and he used to take us to Manchester quite a bit. Um, and you won't like me saying this, but he took us to Manchester on three or four occasions to either watch the cricket or um, what else did we do? We went for a drink or a meal. He didn't realise afterwards that he paid for everything. So he yeah. paid for every player and every staff member on those trips. And there was three or four of those trips. So the cricket's not going to be cheap. And obviously going out for a meal in Manchester with it. So he, he was trying to get everyone together and build that, that sort of um, atmosphere like Blackburn's been known for and what it was like when I was there as a player, a proper family club. Yeah, I think Tony Mowbray's thankfully kind of rekindled that as well. Yeah. Uh, talking about yeah. kind of, you know, a family connection, you obviously have a very strong one. Um, as you started in the game. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the relationship with your brother, Chris? I have a brother called Chris as well, a younger brother, about a year apart. So um, tell us a little bit about kind of you two growing up and what it was like growing up. I think it was in the East Riding that you grew up, wasn't it? And, and well, no, we, your... we, we, we grew up in Germany, actually, Andy. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah. yeah, my parents were working in the forces. So my brother was born out there. Um, I was there six months old when I went out there. So we had nine years on a, on a military base so I think if anyone's read the book, The Bounce Theory, it's about, you know, how people can succeed in sport. And I, I don't think if I hadn't been out in Germany with no TV for nine years and a, a brother just 20 months old, younger than me, I don't think I'd have made it as a, as a footballer. We both out in the garden. My dad was a very keen sportsman. And we had no TV to go to. So it was just outside all the time. 
probably a little bit better weather where we were than the UK. So, it, you know, it was probably one of the reasons why we both became professional sportsmen because we were just competing all the time. And, you know, you don't see kids do that nowadays as much. You know, my son's on his iPad now and I try and get him outside, but there was just no choice for us then. And we had a really good upbringing over there. Came back to England when I was 10, Chris was eight. Um, and then we progressed through, you know, luckily local football and got into, got into professional football. And what was great was we played together at Scarborough and at Notts County before I moved and Chris moved. And he's now um, head of sports science at Oxford. And funnily enough, he lives with me during the week because I live down in Bista in Oxfordshire. So he, um, he, he, he's, he lives in his home in North Yorkshire and he works with Carl Robinson, who obviously Carl coached at Blackburn. And Chris uh, works alongside Carl and lives with me during the week. So, yeah, they're still working now, actually, because they've got the playoffs coming up. Absolutely, yeah. That was a, a really big vote recently. We'll, uh, we'll scoff over that. I don't think we have enough time to go through your whole career and talk about modern times as well. It's, it's a crazy <laughs> yeah. time in football at the moment. But yeah. um, you talk about Scarborough there. You uh, look, obviously, Neil Warnock was a massive part of your kind of career at that point, yours and Chris's. Um, yes, he was, I know she yeah. scored seven goals in sixty-three league appearances at Scarborough as well. So that's quite the the striking record that you didn't quite manage to keep up um, for the rest of your career. But <laughs> no, I didn't. Time Scarborough, no. and then you moved to Notts County because Neil went there. Did he take you and Chris with you? Is that part? Was that part of it? Yeah, it was. You know, I'd only been in the game a year at Scarborough. We were semi-pro in the old fourth division. Then we turned pro. I left a banking job, and then Neil went on to Notts and. He took me with him, but fortunately for me, it was a good side. There's people like Tommy Johnson and Draper and Dean Yates who all played in the Premiership eventually. And we got two successive promotions. And my brother followed on a year later to join me there. Happy time, you know, because everything was going well at uh, Scarborough and then at Notts County. And I was just learning learning it. You know, I, I never thought I was going to have a whole career as a player. I just thought this is, a, this is something... You know, I'm just going to enjoy and I thought every contract I had even till I was late in my 20s I thought it was going to be my last contract you don't take things for granted I think I, because you, I came through the academy system I, sorry I didn't come through the academy system you felt as though you hadn't earned your stripes or I felt a bit of an imposter so I just thought I'm going to get found out at some point unfortunately I was playing in good teams and I developed and you know it went from strength to strength in those early days what was it like then the jump from the fourth division to the first division? I know you went through the second division as well, but in a relatively yeah, short space of time, did you did you feel a massive difference? I felt we, we went went you no know, Scarborough, then I went to to Notts County, which was obviously Notts County is the old third, which is League One now, yeah. and then we got promotion to the Championship, and then we got successive promotions to the Premiership. So I didn't feel too big a, a gap from League Two nowadays to League, to the Championship. It was just a progression that seemed to adapt to pretty easily and I had and I was playing a strong side the biggest ch- challenge was the old first division of the premiership in 91 92 season I had one season there before we got relegated I just thought every striker he came across was like Rush and Lineker and Fashionu and you know there's so many out there Young Shearer was coming through as well then before he signed for he was playing at Southampton yeah. and it was just a every week you had to be at it and Les Ferdinand came out of non-league and he gave me a tough time. Um, Colin Moore. So there was Col- Colin Yorker establishing themselves. Mark Hughes, of course, McClare. So it was just it was just a real challenge. I thought, God, I was only playing non-league football a few years previously. What am I doing here, sort of thing? Um, but you know, I managed to I managed to cope okay. You know, it was all about being a defender. And nowadays we're taught differently, of course. But I was just told to defend, and you know, that's what my strength was, and I had to, I had to concentrate on that. 
Yeah, absolutely. And so you mentioned there it was just the season before the Premier League became the Premier League. Um, That's right. Yeah. Did was there interest in you? So you'd obviously you must have done okay with Notts County. You went and moved to Derby. Or I know weren't in the Premier League at the time, but they'd paid an awful lot of money to get you out of Notts County. Was there any other interest in you at that time? I actually heard rumours that Rovers were interested in you even then. Well, I spoke to Kenny as well. I made a mistake really in in, 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 in a little bit of a way because I was just living in the Midlands. A couple of my pals had signed for Derby. And then there was a bit of interest from Derby for me to go there. And then the, the fee got ridiculous because it became an auction between Derby and Blackburn, between Jack Walker and Lionel Pickering, the two owners. I came up to meet Kenny. I think Shearer just signed. And I didn't sign. I signed for Derby. And, and, and looking back, you know, people say, you're nuts. You took the easy way out. And I probably did, really. But I just thought, God, I've just come so far so quickly. I was just sort of probably lacking a bit of confidence, uh, to be honest. Um, and then I got, I used to get letters from a Rovers fan from Clitheroe. <laughs> and used to say to me, when you finished, I think you finished third or first year or fourth. Fourth in the first season. Yeah, I bet you wish you'd joined us now. And I was lang- I was languishing in the championship with Derby. And then at the year after you won it, and then I got another letter from the same chap saying, I bet you wish you'd joined us now. And he was right, you know, you, 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 I, did, I did think that. But I was playing at a very, very good club and thought we'd bounce straight up. The team we had at Derby, I thought we were going to bounce up. We didn't do that. Um, so then I count myself very fortunate. I went to play for a great club in Everton and ultimately arrived at Blackburn towards what you'd say is the end of my career, but I had the best time of my career with, with, with Graham, you know, and that was the icing on the cake for me coming back. Absolutely. So you, you played a couple of seasons with Derby, like say you didn't quite manage to make the Premier League, lost in the playoffs to Leicester, I think. And you were the player of the year there in, in 95. Um, Everton came in for you, had four years in the Premier League, finishing six as well. Just tell us a little bit about, kind of your highlights of your time with Everton and um, it must have been quite a good team to finish sixth that first season and then there was a slide so you know just give yeah. us a little recap of that time. It was, it was a, a really you know it was a massive step for me going from a you know obviously Derby's a big club but going up to Merseyside and meeting Joe Royal and seeing the other Kanchelski signed the same day as me I'm thinking Jesus you know I was I was playing non-league football a few years previously. Now I'm at Everton. And when I was growing up in, in, in Germany, you know, I mentioned I didn't have a TV, but we had a lot of radio. And I used to listen to the sports report. So I became a Liverpool fan because in the 70s, Liverpool were winning everything. So naturally, as a young kid, you go for the team that's winning. So I became a Liverpool fan. And when I used to come back to my grandparents and holidays, I used to watch the match of the day, which is the only football you could watch then. And I was mesmerised by Merseyside Derby. So then to arrive at Everton, they just won the FA Cup. They're Duncan Ferguson, the Amakachi, Limpar, um, Kanchelskis was signing, of course, and some and Neville Southall, a, a legend in that club. I, I, I took me a little while to settle, but that first year was a good year. We finished fifth or yeah, sixth, as he said. We qualified for Europe, so got a taste of European football the year after, uh, playing against Feyenoord. Um, but that was a, you know, I'll never forget the Merseyside derbies. Um, I think. I got my mice to get involved in six. I think we lost one. So even though we weren't competing at the right end of the table, like Liverpool were, we, we seemed to do well in the derbies. Um, so they were special. The European nights were special. And it was a special place to play with Goodison. And going back there years later with Blackburn, it was always a tough place to go. You know, it was an intimidating place to go. I think every player will tell you, going to Goodison, even if they're struggling, is always a, a, an intimidating place to go. It's physical. The, t- the ground's nice and tight, it's traditional. So 
and and what the fans are there, they're very good to ex-players. You know, I didn't I didn't achieve a great deal there. You know, I just tried to give my all, but they always seem to appreciate that when I when I'd go back with Blackburn. And then uh, Rooney was just coming through as a young kid then as well, of course. So there's all these young boys coming through. Franny Jeffers had, had just hit the headlines, went to his big move to Arsenal. So it had a really good youth policy as well. Um, but unfortunately, we couldn't continue that first year six. We were like, we fought relegation one year. We, we ended up staying up by one goal, which was a real tense. That was an awful day, that last day of the season. Yeah, I was going to ask about that specifically. I, I had a friend who's asked, asked me kind of to ask you what it was like on that last day. Uh, apparently the atmosphere in Goodison that day, when it was, was it Gareth Farrelly who scored the goal? We'd been hammered. We'd been hammered four 0 the week before at Arsenal when Tony Adams scored. Oh, that's that right. Yeah, that was the Arsenal winning yeah, the title. Yeah. We'd been yeah. absolutely hammered. Could have been. I spoke to Dave Watson, the captain, actually the other day about it. He said it could have been this cricket score. It really could. So we had to go and beat or better Bolton's result. They were away at um, Chelsea. Bear in mind that season we played Bolton at Reebok in the first game at the Reebok ever. We got a nil nil draw there. But Jerry Taggart beat me from a corner, heading the ball towards goal, hit the crossbar and went over the line by about three feet, three feet, Andy. It was so plain. And Terry Phelan cleared it off the line. It, the goal wasn't given. It would have been given now with all the technical technology we've got. Yeah. So it wasn't given and we got away with that. So if that had been given, we'd have gone down anyway. But then we had to go and play the last game of the season. And, you know, the fear I felt before that game, because I didn't want to be responsible for taking such a great club down. Howard Kendall was manager who'd done wonderful things with that club in the 80s. And I could just, there was lads in the, well, after the game, there was grown men crying, you know, because um, it was so tense. And we were just so, well, I think we went 1-0 up. And then Nick Barmby missed a penalty. Dion Dublin came down the other end and scored 1-1. So if Coventry had scored again, or if Bolton got a goal up Chelsea in that last 20 minutes, we'd have gone down. And that was just... Honestly, just kick it anywhere, head it anywhere, kick it anywhere, just scrap and fight. And we got through it in the end, but it wasn't, a, it wasn't an enjoyable day. And we should never have been in that position considering the size of the club. No, but, you know, it's all, it's all adds to the experience, doesn't it? So when you get put into a similar position at another time, then maybe you can use that at all, thinking through your career. I don't think that ever actually kind of, I don't think you're involved in a relegation dogfight again. Oh, thank, th- thankfully, Andy. I, I got involved with a couple up there, but with with Everton, but not, not after that. I was fortunate at Blackburn. Yeah. Well, let's move on to that then. So, obviously, we are Rovers chat. We've talked a lot about other things, but you, you get a move to Blackburn in July 1999, which was the seat, I think, we'd just been relegated into the championship. Yeah. Um, yeah. Brian Kidd must have been the manager then. Um, yeah. How did that kind of come about? Tell us a little bit about the circumstances of your move to Blackburn. I was out of contract at Everton. I'd been captain for a while. Walter Smith was a manager. And um, they offered me a new contract that summer and I signed it. And we'd just, we'd just come up to Blackburn at the end of that season and won 3-2. Um, I'm trying to think who scored for us. Anyway, Bakioko scored two goals for us. Probably only two goals he scored for Everton at the time. And that was a big, obviously a huge night for us to, to get a result because we were hovering down the bottom as well as Blackburn. Blackburn, unfortunately, got relegated. I signed a new contract, was buying a house in Southport in Merseyside. Then all of a sudden, the club accepted this bid because I was 31 and it was a bit of money. The club needed the money. And I didn't want to drop down to the championship, especially after working so hard to try and stay up and right. keep yeah, I was going to ask about that because you've mentioned a couple of times about 
it seems like you've had a lack of confidence. I wondered whether that lack of confidence played into you dropping back down. But you no, still, it wasn't. That, no, it wasn't. Andy. It was, you know, I was. I was really confident by then at, at Everton. I'd had the captaincy with Walter, and I wanted to. I wanted to stay and sign my new contract. I'll just the day Brian Kidd came in for me was the day I was going to exchange contracts on a house in Merseyside. But what it what it was for me was a family decision because I'm from Yorkshire. Um, my my then wife was from Yorkshire. My two girls were growing up in Merseyside. I had parents back home. And I just thought I wanted to take my family home. And, and I asked Brian Kidd. My first question to Brian Kidd was, Brian, can I, can I live in Harrogate and commute from Harrogate? And he said, no problem, because some lads commuted from South Manchester. It's even further for them. So, you know, and I looked at the squad as well. I looked at obviously what Brian had achieved in the game. I thought, well, I can go home now. And, and you know, I've been living all over the country. I'll go home. And that was one of the, one of the main reasons, you know, I, I knew dropping down was a big thing for me, but I, I was convinced, convinced that that side was, would bounce back straight away. So it was a bit of a gamble, but um, at 31, you know, I got a four year contract, which is unheard of really at that age. So, you know, it, you know, I, I was just thinking, okay, I, it was more of a family decision. And I, I knew I was coming to a great club. And one thing that struck me as well was the facilities when I arrived, you know, they were the fantastic other facilities, you know, they were probably best, one of the best in the country at the time when I, when I arrived in 99. Yeah. And, um, so what happened there? <laughs> so as you, you read there, you say about the squad, the facilities is, you know, I spoke to Jason Wilcox recently, um, for the title celebrations, title winning celebrations. And he said he was captain at the time and, um, you know, the relegation should never have happened. We had a good enough squad. We should have been, you know, out of relegation trouble. So yeah. why, what was the reason for that disappointing season and first back in that level? We finished 11th. Is it just acclimatisation to that level? I think, I think a lot of us, you know, me included, didn't perform well enough. You know, I remember, I remember Jason was very, very passionate. He was captain at the time. I can remember away games in hotels the last thing at night you could hear down the corridor was Jason Wilcox shouting, come on Rovers, top of his voice, <laughs> just before he went to bed. Uh, I, still, I, still, I still speak to Jason, I spoke to him last week, but he was a good captain, but we had two players for every position. I remember Brian Kidd calling me into his office one day and saying, Shorty, you know, I've let you down. And I'm, I'm saying, Brian, no, you haven't, you, you haven't let us down. We've let you down, you know. This is when we were struggling, you know. And I think if all of us looked at ourselves properly, that first season, or my first season there, or that first season of the championship, we really underperformed. Most of us did. Not all of us, but most of us did, me included. Never got our act together. And we got a shock. You know, we were the big scalp, and we got a big shock. And that was, um, that was then the turning point, I think, for, for obviously for Brian losing his job. But I think we could have done more. And we'll have a word at this point, because like I said, Brian lost his job. And you know, you you put the right responsibility down to the players, which is kind of refreshing, really. Um, a lot of fans will just blame the manager, but it's the players on the pitch sometimes. Um, Tony Parks came in and did another um, kind of caretaker job, which he's kind of become famous for. But I wonder if you wanted to say a couple of words about Tony, because obviously he's suffering um, yeah. quite badly at the moment with his illness, and we all wish him well, and he's in our thoughts most days. Um, but what was he like at the club? Um, <coughs> well, he, he, was, he was excellent. He was excellent. I, I, I've recently, I was at Ewood recently for the Fulham game, um, end of last season, or end of, yeah, the season just gone, and uh, met, met up with him. I know he's, he's in ill health. I had, had a, a chat with him. He hadn't changed physically much from the days I was working with him, but 
when I did work with him, he was a calming influence. I think when Graham came in and Graham had that presence and that awe and that he could, and Graham could lose it, you know. Um, but Tony was a, a quiet word. He used to join in training quite a lot and he was very, very consistent, very competitive. He had a little bit of nasty streak in him, incredibly fit for his age. He kept himself fit. And, and like you say, he was, he was part of the club for years and years and worked with loads of managers. So he always, you could always confide in Tony and, and a good coach as well, of course, you know, you're not going to be at a club like that without being a good coach. He was a very, very good coach, but a thoroughly decent man with, you know, and it was, it was, it was, it was refreshing seeing, well, not refreshing. I expected it when he walked out on the pitch at half time in the Fulham game, the round of applause he got um, because, you know, he, he served that club well. And uh, it's, it's so sorry to see the health he's in at the moment, but um, it was, it was nice catching up with him and I thoroughly enjoyed working with him. Brilliant. And soon, like you say, Graham Sinesse came in, um, I think it was in March of that season. So the season had already gone in a way and, um, what was he? Did he come in with that presence straight away? Could you just feel that there was something different um, about to happen at the club? Yeah, I, I, you know, he's my boyhood hero. So I, right. I, I always remember the first time I met him. I came out of the gym. We've been told there's a meeting. The manager was here. There was a meeting in the in the canteen down at Brockhall. So I've been in the gym. As I walked out of the gym, he stood in the hallway. And Gray won't like me saying this, but as a kid, your heroes are always six foot five, aren't they? Or six foot yeah. six. And because I'm I'm six three. He was smaller than me, but that was the only thing, you know, his presence and his, his aura, charisma. Um, I, I, you know, I couldn't wait to play for him. And, I, and he gave me my best four years. And if you talk to any of the lads from that era, we, we have a group chat now and we discuss it. And it was a really, really, you know, not, nothing as success, successful as a team win the premiership with Kenny. Of course it wasn't, but to get promotion, which was an achievement anyway, and then to go and play in Europe and, winning the Worthington Cup and doing all the other things we did. We finished fifth, I think, one season or six. He, he had an exciting side. And I, I, I always remember his first speech. He, he made a lot of good speeches in dressing rooms. He was, he was fierce, but he was fair. I'd worked for Walter Smith at, Black, at Everton. And the Walter and Graham obviously worked together at Rangers and had been successful. And I like I liked the way those people work. You know, I, I think as a manager, I know it's changed a lot nowadays to be more coaching. But I didn't, uh, for me, a manager is someone that I want to run through a brick wall for. And, you know, there's hardly Neil Warlock and um, Walter Smith and Graham. They're, the, they're those sort of managers I w- didn't want to let down. And, and when you get praise from someone you worshipped as a kid, that's, um, you know, that makes you feel 10 feet tall. So, but not, he would tell you if he'd done things wrong. He would tell you in no uncertain terms if he'd done things wrong. But I you did, knew where you stood. Yeah, I spoke to John Curtis a few days ago. Um, about Graham Sooness and he said like along the same sort of lines he wasn't I asked him whether he was a good man manager and he kind of has it hesitated I don't think he saw I don't think you see him as a someone who will put your arm around you and give you a kind of like you know personal touch maybe he's more of the like say I will you know run through brick walls for him and um, just going back to the start of the promotion season what was the mood like pre-season you'd kind of come off that 11th place finish you, Graham had had chance maybe to move a couple on that you know weren't necessarily pulling their weight and bringing in some of the young players was there a real mood in this in the pre-season camp that this was the season you, you're going to do something this was a, going to be a promotion season I think I think we knew as well if you if you didn't perform you were going to be you were, you were gone I think Graham had made that clear he'd, he'd like you said then he's moved players on 
he moved Simon out and he moved Christian Daly out. Good professionals, you know, went on to have good careers. But if you were at it every training session, and Graham joined in those training sessions, he still showed his quality. But if you weren't, if you weren't at it and performing, not just on a Saturday, but during the week as well, you'd be gone. And I, I knew that. I knew that you had to, every game could be your last game. So we had a good, you know, you look at the team we had, you know, and Gary Flitcroft was captain then and Henning came in. He had the best keeper in the world, in my opinion, for the spell he was at Rovers. Never got the recognition he deserved, I don't think, but Brad was outstanding. Yeah, um, so I've got a question here about that. What was it like playing with Henningberg and Brad Friedel? Was that, I remember when Brad Friedel came in, I was, you know, 15, 16 at the time, and John Fylan and, and Akuta, we had a good, Alan Kelly, I think, was around at that time. We had very good right, goalkeepers, right. and we all questioned why is he bringing this Liverpool reject in? Well, the players, we, funny, Andy, we, we all thought that as well, because Alan Kelly's international, John Fylan's international, both really good goalkeepers, and both had great careers. So, that was a real, real shock to us. And, and Brad had not performed, I don't think, at the level he could do at Liverpool. I think he struggled at Liverpool. But hell, you know, you look back now, he's probably one of the most successful signs the club has made. Incredible. And we'd nick a draw at Arsenal. We won at Arsenal a couple of times. I think we won down at Chelsea. And he knew Brad had to play well. for the, in, He's playing behind me and Henning, so we had to play well. <laughs> but then Henning was Mr. Consistent. You know Henning wasn't the biggest, but never got beaten in the air hardly. Henning wasn't the quickest, but never seemed to get run. He just seemed to use, his, his positioning sense was outstanding. You can understand why he played so many games for his country and for Manchester United. But then you had Lucas Neal at right back, who was an outstanding right back and um, an athletic. He had a nasty streak in him, Lucas, physical and could get forward. So I, I loved having Lucas in the team and then Stig next to me because I played on the left and then Stig was on the left, left back. Yeah. who'd obviously also been an international. So the back four, you know, wasn't, wasn't, we weren't no slouches, especially with Brad behind us. But then you, look, you, go, then you go further forward in the team. I was thinking, well, that's, that's where the team gets interesting and, and exciting to play with, you know. So would you, like, the very experienced back four there and, and Friedel behind and then Flickcroft. And then do you, do you just look forward at the likes of Damien Duff, David Dom, Matt Janssen? I know Marcus Bank came in and made an impact. Keith Gillespie was in the squad then. Yeah. And did you, were you just like, as long as we can keep it tight here and give it to these lads, then we're going to win matches? Yeah, You're, I always knew we had a threat. You know, we always looked to always score goals. And, and even going into the Premiership, it's more difficult, of course, against better defenders. But two traditional wingers in Gillespie and Duff, You've got Flitcroft and Dunn, and then two guys, of course, was the best player I played with. Um, it was just an exciting team to play in. There was always an option for you. Yeah, we, 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 we were going to concede at times. You know, we weren't the, probably the, the quickest back four in the world, but we were experienced. We knew our jobs. Uh, we, we, we read the game pretty well, and we were really confident in what we had behind us with Brad. You know, he, he'd save us well, 10, 10 points a season with Brad, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and I think... I'm sure the top top clubs are looking for looking at him then, but I always knew we had a threat. Duff Damien doing his stuff. Mark Hughes had come in and done well to, for us towards the end of the championship season. Good influence in the dressing room, and then you had this wonderful player from Turkey who just made made the game look so easy. And um, you know, it was an absolute pleasure to play with him. I wonder if we'll talk about two guy later on. Someone's asked a question, which may um, end up with him being the answer. Just going back to the championship season, we had the East Lancashire Derby for the first time in 17 years. 
um, play, obviously playing Burnley in the league twice. Um, the reason that hadn't been one was because Burnley were so rubbish for so long, which was which was fine. But then they, we ended up in the same division as them. And I remember feeling very nervous about it because we were meant to be the big dogs. We were the we were the bigger club at the time, and um, I felt nervous that they would come and kind of scupper that from us, and it would be very painful if they did so. Um, could f- players feel the anticipation from the supporters ahead of these derbies? And you mentioned about the Merseyside derby being amazing to play in and doing very well in them. Would, would the, was the East Lancashire derby different in some ways, or uh, were they enjoyable for you to play in? Yeah, it was. It was like you said then, Andy. I felt incredibly nervous before the one when we. I know we ended up winning five nil, but we'd been away in Dubai on a on a training camp, and, and and relaxing as well. So you're having a nice time in Dubai as well as training. So the huge pressure on us to come back and perform. It was live on TV. It was a big derby. You know, I didn't realise how big a derby it was. You know, I, I played in the Merseyside derby. So I realised the animosity and the, and, 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 and the passion between supporters. And I thought, God, we can't lose this. Especially after we've been... Uh, are you, 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 you sending me a shot here or something on the screen? Something yeah, yeah, screen. no, I'm just, I'm yeah. just queuing up something but, for you. But, but I, I, was, I, was, I, was, I always remember standing in the tunnel feeling so nervous, thinking... This is, we can't lose, and it wasn't much in it really. The first half, second half, we went, we we played some excellent football. But yeah, that was that was a real eye opener for me, a real eye opener, and how much it meant for the Rovers fans, and and a, and a really good outcome in the end. Um, second half, we just turned it up a notch. Yeah, we. Um, I think a lot of people don't realise the ferocity of the derby, and especially with it being 17 years since the last, the previous one. Um, football media had moved on and no one really even expected because we Rovers have become such a big club and Burnley have been struggling, whatever. I don't think people equated the two as being rivals and uh, no offence to some people, but the geography may not be that great to know that we obviously are very close in in distance but yes I've, I've queued up something here and um, hopefully you'll all be able to hear the audio towards the centre McCoughless punches clear falls for done with a shot flicked in and Rovers take the lead after 13 minutes David done with the shot I think Craig Shaw may have got a touch on the way through it doesn't really matter Rovers are one up yeah you can see it coming from these corners I mean Burnley defending very well the goalkeeper there is very poor punch out and David Dunn kept but it was a, you know, I I, I go back my, I go back to the Lancashire now, and people remind me of these two goals I scored. I'm thinking, well, the first one was a shot hit my leg and went in off David, and the second one was an own goal. Like you said, I didn't get enough goals from corners in my, in my later years. I got a few in my year, younger years, but David, lovely left foot he's got, and then fortunately hit me. But one thing about David Dunn was one of the only players I've known who's comfortable with his left foot as he was with his right foot. And uh, oh. wasn't so afraid. To sh- wasn't afraid to shoot with his left. But yeah, that hit me and went in. It was going wide, but uh, very, very fortunate for me. Well, you could say that. You could say an instinctive uh, finish <laughs> there. Um, but someone asked a question: Are you claiming two goals from that game? Not I at all. Andy, no. went... I never have. I've never claimed two goals. People keep giving me the keep giving me the two goals. My wife is, is a lawyer. She worked up in Burnley for a while, and she realised that you know I got a bit. Of, I get a bit of stick from Burnley fans. But I, I'd never ever claim the two goals. You know, I I played a part in the second goal, but got lucky again. And I think that first half hinged. It was very delicately balanced. They got a goal disallowed, and I still felt nervous. But half time, second half, we just we went away from them with Janssen scoring, I think, and Craig Hignett scoring. I think I can remember. But yeah, it, I, was, I was more or less a spectator second half because we just took control of the game, and I realised how good we, we we were at the time. 
and that kind of kind of triggers us to go on and on and on and we had a, a really good run in the second half of the season it was actually yeah. still very tight though between us and Bolton for the second promotion place um Fulham were a fantastic side that season as well and yes, uh, they'd come to Ewood and beaten us um 1-0 Lewis Fulmorte scoring that goal which heart, it was heartbreaking as a child but well I say a child teenager um but okay. we went to Preston then on the penultimate game of the season it was a night game um what was you do you remember the game? Do you remember, were you nervous ahead of that game as well, knowing that that could be, that was the pivotal match? Very nervous, Andy. I was playing left of a three, so I was very, very nervous. I was, <laughs> Did that make you feel nervous? Yeah, it was an unusual position for me, and I think Blackburn fans would have been nervous seeing me playing left of a three. Um, I didn't want to go to Gillingham last game of the season to get a result. That's what we didn't want. Yeah. We just didn't want that pressure. You know, Baltimore hunted us down, and... You know, the pressure was all on us. Preston would want to turn us over, of course they would. And the game, the game was just so delicately balanced again. I remember getting turned by John Macken right at the end, and he hit the post. Fortunately, yeah. but if that had gone in, we'd have to go to Gillingham and get the result at Gillingham. But it turned out to be one of the nice, best nights of my career. A huge relief. Um, but people like Mark Hughes, who'd won everything, was you know absolutely overjoyed getting promotion. You know, it's it's a tough, tough league to get off. It's a huge league. You know, it's just you're showing the corner kick, aren't you now? Yeah, um, so again, I've queued I had a chance actually before this to score. I had a headed chance before this. And then luckily, I just managed to get my head on it. And I think Gary was going to head it in, Gary Flickcroft, but Matty got there first. And yeah, nice to score from a set piece and contribute. Exactly. So it was deep into the second half by this stage. Or it's still nil nil. And then Craig Hignett. Hignett's corner, beyond bench. Janssen! Managed to hold off Sean Green, I think it was, and it bounced. Sean Green, yeah. It bounced nicely for Matt, and I thought then you've got a chance now because we needed to get a win there, really, to not for it not to go to the last game. And I thought let's hang on to something, and we did do. You know, we had Duffer playing wing back, of course, that day. Yeah. You know? so, in front of me, so, thankfully, I just give it Damien. Just seeing the replay there, you just felt strength really, Sean Green, and they got underneath the ball, and Marcus yeah, Ben jumps right in front of you. Yeah, I didn't have to jump really, but it just head it back across the goal, and hopefully someone gets there. And we, you know, like I said, I'm a, I'm something that maybe I should have done better at in my career is scoring goals, but or contributing in, in the opposing half. But big relief, big relief. And look at Matty. Matty had such a good season that year. I was just about to ask about Matt Janssen. So if anyone was going to get on the end of that that season, it was going to be Matt. And obviously he carried that form on into the Premier League. I've, I've read his. I don't know if you've read his autobiography as well. I read it. I haven't. Recently, it's it's almost heartbreaking in a way. I almost didn't want to read it because he was my hero at the time, and yeah. um, he had, he was such a fantastic talent, wasn't he? He he was he, he he you know what one thing about Matty was is he had all this trickery and bit and pace, but he was excellent in the air. You know he yeah. he lead the line pretty well, and he's one of those players you couldn't you tried to get near and you couldn't get the ball off him. He seemed to he seemed to have jelly legs. You know he, he had a lot of strength as well, a lot of low. 
lower body strength. He'd hold you off. And he was, he was at the height of his profession. And it was such a, such a sad circumstances, you know, when he took to get himself injured, went on holiday and, and, and miss what was going to be, or, you know, a great career. And, and, and I think a good international career as well, because it did, it did affect him. It did affect him after his accident. It mentally affected him. And could you tell in training that he wasn't quite the same? You could tell him the personality. You could tell right. him as soon as, yeah, if it, I think that the part of his brain that was damaged from what I believe in was, um, um, what sort of hand, is your personality as well? He, he, he went from a quite an extrovert person to quite an introvert person. Um, and he was, um, I think the club even brought in a top a chap who's wrote, written the chimp paradox. That's right, yeah. Steve Peters. Yeah. Steve Peters, that's right. He came in a few times and even he, Steve asked me to be a mentor for Matty because I was one of the senior lads there. Yeah. Um, and I, I remember Matty scoring on his Mark Hughes's first game. Portsmouth to win the game and I don't know if Matty won't mind me saying this but um, I, I was so thrilled for him because he's gone through his battle trying to get through you know his mental battle and obviously a physical battle as well he had to overcome but I remember saying to him after the game great how did you feel coming on he said I was frightened to death yeah and I thought well you know that's not the Matt Janssen who, who I know who got us promotion and who who I've played with? You know, you were never frightened of anything. You you're too talented to be frightened. You, you're too much skill, and you tried to get a food to Matt, but it was hard for him to accept it. You know, it, 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 the accident has certainly changed him and damaged him. You know, and it was a real, really sad, a real sad uh, event. It really was, and that comes across in the book as well. What you've said there is is exactly what he says that he felt like in the book. So he was playing yeah. with he was playing with fear, Andy. That's what yeah, he was. exactly. Before that, he never, he never played with fear. He couldn't wait to get out there. Yeah, it must be really difficult for, for someone to accept that. Um, let's move on then to the, we were always confident that we would stay up in the Premier League. We went actually through a, a, a spell between in, over Christmas, January, February, where we only won two games um, out of 12. And I think we ended up near the, the bottom, bottom three. But did you feel confident always that we were going to have enough to stay up? I did, yeah, I did. Uh, um, I think we were in the bottom three when we won the Worthington Cup, weren't we? I'm That's right, sure yeah. we were. Um, yeah. yeah, I was. I think we had too much. Um, I, uh, I've been in relegation battles before in the Premiership with Everton, but I thought we'd, we'd get out of it, even though, you know, at the time you're worried and you're concerned, you don't take anything for granted. But we had too many goals in the team. Um, yeah. And, you know, with Cole, Coley there, you know, he got a wonderful goal at, um, at the... Millennium that night to, to win that uh, Worthington Cup. So, so how I did thought, you end up being suspended for that? I can't quite remember. Uh, uh, stupid, Andy. I, I had three sendings off that season. I got a double booking against Manchester United at home um, when Beckham ended up chipping Brad from the quick free kick. And I was already, I, was, I don't think I was even off the pitch actually. I gave a free kick away. I fouled Dwight York and uh, got, that's, I got my first red for that. So I got a, a, one game banned for that. Then I got sent off against Sunderland against Kevin Kyle on Boxing Day. Uh, I got a three-game ban for that. And then Steve Marley at Fulham, 91st minute, uh, I received a pass and I thought I was going to get clobbered. So I put my arm up to protect myself and caught Steve Marley in the face. And it really was to protect myself. Um, and then they gave me a five-game ban. But as soon as the red card was shown, I knew I was going to miss the cup. I knew yeah. I was in tears after the game. Mark Hughes was very good for me, actually. After the game, he came over and chatted to me. But it was just, you know, for me coming... The journey I've been on from non-league, I would never ever get a chance to play in the cup. That's my biggest regret, really, in the game, missing that game. Yeah. 
did you still travel down with the squad or did you just yeah yeah me and gary were both gary was suspended me and gary room together gary flickcroft he was suspended because he got sent off in the semi-final so he missed it i think two guy was out as well injured yeah. uh lucas neal was cup tied and uh alan kelly was also maybe cup tied so we weren't in the squad but graham made us part of the squad he took us down there the hotel the build-up we weren't favorites we were underdogs um and what, what did you it? think about that? Because obviously I, under, I understand that we were second favourites and I remember on the day, I always felt like we had a good chance. Did you feel in the squad that that we were actually quite confident of getting a result there? I was, yeah, because we had goals, you know, Sparky played in midfield so because Tugay wasn't there. So I remember him getting man of the match. He, he frightened the life out of the Spurs midfielders. He was, you know, and that's not his natural position, but he was outstanding. He was 37 years old, dictating dictating the play midfield was physical. I think he had Dunny, Dunny next to him. Yeah. Uh, Eric Johansson played instead of me with Henning. They both did very, very well. Um, I'm trying to think of play it right, but I can't remember now. But we, you know, we had Brad in goal, of course, as well. And then the goal that Yanni got, and he celebrated that, they equalised. And then Coley's goal was instinctive. It was an outstanding goal. Um, and it was, a, it was a wonderful occasion. You know, we were sitting on the bench with all the lads, me, lads, you know, me and Gary and, and two guys. But um, it was just a shame not to be taking part of it. You know, I, I, I really found that difficult. And Graham grabbed me and Gary at the end and walked over to the Rovers fans and we held the, held the cup, which was a nice touch. But a wonderful day for, for Blackburn, you know, winning the, winning the Premiership in obviously the 90s and then getting to the noughties and you win a cup, you know, it's great. Yeah, it was. It was a fantastic day. And one that I remember a bit more than the, the Premier League win. And I, I yeah, remember, yeah, I was, yeah, of course. I was, and, and, was, and, and having 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 the stadium closed, Andy was great. You know, the roof yeah. closed, which added to the atmosphere. Yeah, absolutely. I remember that was the first time I was ever sick in a pub afterwards. But anyway, enough about me. <laughs> um, we we went on, like you said earlier, we went on to finish six. I think the following season, or certainly a season afterwards, we had a very good side. Um, we'd obviously invested in Andy Cole. We we brought in Dwight York. We had. David Thompson at one point as well, <coughs> who came in very and had a massive impact for a short while. And that meant we got European football as well. We had consecutive European seasons. Um, I just wanted to touch on one particular game, the Celtic um, game um, up at Celtic Park. I think you, you started and played that game, didn't you? Yeah, I enjoyed that game. It was a great, great atmosphere. Really, really. I just, real I just wanted battle. to read this little excerpt from The Guardian. It was the live chat so it says game over somehow Celtic managed to win a game they should have probably lost by five or six goals is that how you felt coming off the park that we we should have won that game and if you know yeah definitely I I had a bit of a row afterwards in the dressing room Um, Martin Taylor played exceptionally well next to me because Henning was injured yeah Martin had a very good game We, we defended well but we played some great football two guy was instrumental and keeping us with or passing the ball. David Thompson was outstanding that night. Yeah. And we, we didn't convert our chances. And, and I remember having a go at Dwight York after the game because Yorkie, Yorkie had a pop at Martin straight after the game because Martin had lost his man for the corner. I think he lost John Hartson, who's just come on a sub. That's right. So Martin had been outstanding all game. Um, no, and I think, what would he be? 21 years old, possibly? That's all he was in, a, in probably the most hostile, you know, I've played in the Merseyside derbies and I played in the Blackburn Burnley one. But that was a really, really hostile environment because of Graham going back to Celtic Park, the build-up, you know, that the, the amount of people in the stadium. It really was. It was 
even though I was 33, 34, I was, it was, it was a, a real hostile one to walk into. But I, the team played so well that day. And Martin just lost his, he lost John Hartson for a corner, which happens. You know, John's a good, John's been a good player and he heads it. Brad makes a save, I think, and then Larson put it in. And Dwight had a little pop at Martin afterwards and I lost my temper in the dressing room with Yorkie for not sticking some of the chances away. It's what happens after a game at times, you know, it's, it wasn't personal, but I was just felt a bit sorry for Martin because he'd, he'd been so, so good for us in that game. Yeah, I, as I was researching for this today and I, I looked at the team and it was Austin Stad and York up front and Cole and yeah. Nelson were on the bench. And I, I was struggling to remember the reason why that, that was the I case. Think Coley might have, I think Coley might have been injured. It's funny, actually, Andy, I watched this the other day on YouTube. The game's on YouTube and it's really interesting because Coley comes on at half-time. Yeah, he comes on at half-time. But David Thompson really does... He has a couple of good chances. Um, Flickcroft and two-guy midfield. Damien Duff was on the left. He, he just came back from injury as well. But it just showed what a good squad we had when you see Coley and, Cole and Janssen on the bench. Yeah, I know. That's, well, it was a good side. And, and, and Henning wasn't playing either. Yeah, like I said, you had uh, Neil Zerker, Hansen, um, I was going to say Tiny Taylor then, Martin Taylor on the bench, uh, sorry, in the, in the side as well. Although I think Taylor was quite a regular in the in the side at that time. I was looking through the stats and he was getting a lot of starts at the time. So, um, yeah, really good memories. And, you know, we should have won that. I remember watching it live on TV and we, I know we should have won the game. And then they came to our place. And to be fair to them, I think they played Sutton in midfield and, he did a fantastic job, and they always had Henrik Larsson, who's a world-class striker. Yeah, um, they put, they put, I think they put Chris Sutton on two guy, man yeah. to man, and that's what really stifled us. And we, I slipped for the first goal. I made a mistake for the first goal. It was an early goal as well, wasn't it? They got yeah, yeah. and it knocked us, knocked us, knocked us backwards really. Because I, I really, I really fancied us at home, especially yeah, if we totally played like, well, we played so well up there. So we, what kind of happened then? We we slid back down the table. Um, was there problems in the? in the dressing room at all was was Graham kind of losing it a bit more than he used to or how did it kind of kind of fall away from that that peak it was never with Graham there it was never never problems in the dressing room players get disgruntled players get down often players don't take responsibility and blame everything else but themselves but human nature I suppose but we had an honest honest group of lads you know Graham was getting frustrated of course he'd show that he'd you know, he would he would let fly at times, and that's what we deserved because we were struggling. But um, I don't think you know he, he never ever he never say he lost the dressing room because we'd we'd achieved so much with him, you know, and, and gone gone on such a long way with him. So mm-hmm. it was just ourselves as us battling through it and getting 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 out of it really, which which um, you know we did in the end when when obviously Graham went and Mark came in. But um, you know, for, I think he had four years at a club, which was a long spell in t- in terms of being a manager at a football club and probably, you know, what is up there as one of the most successful managers of the club, isn't he, really? Graham yeah, Sanders. he is. And it was a great time to be a supporter as well, I have to say. We, like I'm playing, to say, I'm we... playing good football as well, Andy, you know, yeah, which, which I think that was, my, my dad My dad loves his football and he said of all the teams I played for, he used to love watching Gillespie and Duff and Janssen mm-hmm. and Tugay, you know, it's just great for my dad who watched so much. And it, must have been, it must have been thrilling for Rovers fans the odd yeah, trip away yeah. to Ivory win it. But I think we beat Man U at home and Flickcroft scored the win. It was great. You know, it was a wonderful yeah. memory. Fantastic time. Absolutely. Um, just wanted to touch a little bit on what happened after you left the club. So you um, 
was it just the end of contract and you were allowed to go off to Sheffield United or yeah, what happened yeah. when you left? Yeah, I'd, I'd signed initially, like I said, I signed four years initially. I was lucky to get two more years. Graham got me another year Well, I played two more years. So I ended up doing six. Sparky came in. I was coming up to the age of, what, 37? So, yeah, so I was nearly 37. And even though I knew... You know, I, I I was fit for my age. I looked after myself. But Ryan Nelson walked into the club. Yeah. And as soon as I saw Ryan, I thought, well, you know, I think my days are numbered now. Because yeah. looked, Did you look at him and think, well, that was me about 10 years ago? Well, I, I doubt that. I didn't have Ryan's left foot. But, you yeah. know, he was he was, an, he was an exceptional um, bloke as well. You know, I really liked him a lot. But uh, And then watching him play, I thought, well, Blackburn have got a good centre-back coming, you know, so I knew my time was up, Andy, and, and it was a sad time for me because I, I didn't end my last game on such a high note because I got sent off against Fulham, which wasn't, you know, yeah, sparking. Yeah, Lewis Bormorte popping up again. Yeah, it sparked me the team. I was, I let myself down, but he, I had a bit of history with him because he'd, he'd done Keith Gillespie down at QPR in one game down there, really nasty tackle, got away with it. It was a nasty tackle on Ryan that day, so... I saw red, and I should have I should have sort of counted a ten a little bit, um, but that was what I let myself down with that. But Mark had come in, was coming in and getting some young players in, and at the time you're thinking I want to be part of this, I want to be part of it. But you know, you know, you, you've got to look back and you understand that your body's not going to cope with another year in the Premiership and be a regular. And and with Ryan arriving, he was going to be there for a few years, and, and he was very successful for his, the time he was there. But you enjoyed your time at Sheffield United. There was another promotion, wasn't it? I was very lucky in a way because I, I was going to go and play in Australia. I got a chance to go and play out in Australia in Perth. But my girls were at school, so I turned that one down. And then Neil came in for me. And, you know, he, he gave me my start in my career. And I'd started off a little sailing school up in the Lake District. And I was just going to retire, really. But he persuaded me to go join, join up. And they had a good squad. And one year, got promotion. And that was, you know, it was, it was a lovely way to finish my time with Neil, really, even though I... I stayed on the following year. I didn't play. I didn't play at all the following year. I just played cup games, but it was a real bonus for me going to play play with him towards the, at the end of my career. Yeah, as like you say, bookended it in a way with Neil. Um, yeah. Tell me, so you you say you you turned down Australia, you, you know, your little girls and, and wanting to stay maybe in the UK, but then you didn't end up doing that. You went off to Hungary. Um, yeah. How did that all yeah. come about? Ferenc Varos, well, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Sheffield United owned the club. I'd finished playing my, the playing days. I was working up. I was doing my sailing school in the Lake District and enjoying that, having some time away from the game. Only just halfway through my B license, so I wasn't really looking at football as a as a as a career going forward. I, I just wanted a break, and then uh, I, I went through a divorce, and there, then I was. I used to go training with Sheffield United owner son. He used to, and he said, "Look, he said, there's a job going out in Hungary. Why don't you go out there and see how it goes?" And I was really two minds, really, because it was such a big step for me leaving my kids. But then, if I wanted to get back in the game, and without my qualifications finished, I had to get a club. Uh, and fortunately, you know, I went out there, and I thought I'd go for three or four months, and I ended up there two two years, uh, assistant manager or assistant assistant coach, and then head coach, and that was a real eye opener. You know, they don't yeah. teach you that on. They don't teach you that on the um on the on the courses they give you. It was quite scary at times, but then very very enjoyable. Very passionate supporters, and did you? Yeah, 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 yeah. They were. They didn't want the English involvement owning their club. That uh, no. uh, that became apparent. I got a death threat um 
a photograph sent to my office with a me in a Everton shirt and a, and a, a sickle drawn on the picture of go home or Englishman or die. You know, that was one of my, that was my introduction when I got the, the head coach's job. But we did okay in the end. We, 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 we stabilised the club. We got them promoted because they'd been relegated for financial reasons. Got them promoted. Bobby left. I took over. Got them in the top half and then left. But it really was a, a steep learning curve and it was, it was stressful. That was stress. Um, but I suppose a, you get used to deal with that, you know, with promotion run-ins and relegation fights. You've got to deal with it. And, and, and it's, it makes you, you know, it, the old saying makes you or breaks you. you just got to do it. And I had some good staff there and some really wonderful people out there helping me. So you, you can look back on that, though, and, and that's an experience that not a lot of people will, well, hardly any Englishmen really have that kind of experience on their CV. So Ashley Morris... I'd always, yeah, I'd, always, I'd always give people that advice, go and try it. Yeah. Go and try it. Yeah, go and try it. So, Hungary's not the, a soccer bed, is it? A hotbed of football. It's not one of the biggest countries in the world, but the, they are passionate and they are, they've improved. The game's improved so much over there lately, facility-wise as well. So any young coach should, should take that opportunity if they get the chance. We had a question from Ashley Marsden who, who asked, would you go back into management? Do you know what, Andy, not now, I wouldn't know. I, I've moved around the country too much. Uh, I've got a young family. I've got my little boy now. I'm settled. I like developing players. You know, I was, I was fortunate enough for people, for coaches who spent time with me, developing me as a player. I like just giving those players, you know, I'm not, I don't look to get the limelight. I don't look to the crazy world of soccer management. And it is crazy at times. We all know that. Yeah. Um, I, I admire people who stick at it and it's, it's a drug for them. But I just, I, I like going up to a trip. I've got great facilities at Derby, work with some really good people who've been there for years and years. It's got a good reputation bringing players through. I'm just happy trying to develop the next generation and give something back to the game. I know it's a bit of a cliche, give something back, but a lot of really good people helped me on my journey. And it's nice to see just lads get a career. You know, there's a stat now, Andy, where 78, 78 footballers who sign under 19, so that, so they, they go through that long journey to get to be a pro. They get to an under 19, they, they sign their first pro contact. 78% of those lads are out of the game by the 22. Yeah. So that's how, it just shows you how competitive it is. So, yeah, I, I'm just, I, I enjoy what I do. And I'd never say never, but I just don't think it'll happen for me. Now I'm the wrong side of 50. Um, and I'm fortunate. There's a lot of good people out the game. I'm fortunate I'm in, a, I'm in a good job. Yeah, I understand that. And especially going through the the interesting times that we're going through, the uncertainty. And um, I imagine cost-cutting is, is going to be part of everyone's agenda. And with maybe maybe it's going to be more important now than ever. And Derby might be in a good position for this because they've got the, the talent that they've got. But using the academy and Blackburn the same, um, using the academy more than than looking to outside to to buying players in yeah you know it's, it's a huge expense isn't it as we all know and it's um you know you, you don't know these players are going to be good enough until you throw them in and when i first was at derby with nigel clough before i came to the blackburn with gary nigel he threw will hughes in he threw jeff hendricks in they're both playing the premiership now yeah and you, just, you find out about these players and you know there's we spend all this money on youth development and it's and it's improved so much the coach education's improved facilities have improved you know but Let's give these kids a chance, um, and fortunately, and that and that'll benefit the England team. You know, we see yeah. that people like Will Foden, we, we know all these like young lads coming through. I, I play against Man City 23s and Arsenal. I see all these young kids coming through. I think, wow, English football's got to be looking at winning something in the next ten years because some of the youngsters I see in youth football at this level, outstanding, outstanding. Yeah. Unfortunately, a few of those at Derby had a very good game against us before the lockdown and uh, gave us a gave us a battery right. in the end. 
yeah, um, yeah, right. yeah. let's let's not dwell on that though um i've got so i'm going to finish off now with a, with a few questions that people have asked i've obviously i've asked a few as we've been going through but just a couple of them um david asked what was it like scoring against burnley he didn't say burnley he said another word beginning with b but i'm not going to use that word I didn't realise how important it was until later in my life, really, Andy. You know, at the time it was a relief. You know, I got a deflection off Dunny, and it was lovely. Have you know, any any time you score a goal professionally, it's a wonderful feeling. I didn't get many, so it was a great feeling. But I didn't realise how important that goal was to Blackburn people until I, I finished my career, really, because people talk about it still. I'm thinking, God, it's not a classic, but it was so important. <laughs> In the context of that game, it was so important. I was more proud of my second goal contribution, really, in the run, yeah. you know, and getting a deflection because that was a bit more, bit more different. But the first one, you know, Dunny's shot hit me, went in great. So, but it's just that, that, that result that day was so important to us. And you mentioned about the nerves before. I got the nerves. The nerves were high before that game. Yeah. Um, Paolo Priestelli asked, were there any clubs interested in you that would surprise us? I don't know what he means by that. I mean, but... Um, Spurs, Spurs. When I was at when I was at Derby in Notts County, uh, Terry Venables. But I, I was a Northern lad, so I wanted to stay mm. in the North. And I, I know Graham. I was told that Graham, well, my agent brought Graham Soonest to watch a game when he was manager at Liverpool when I was at playing for Derby. But he um, he he, tick, he he crossed me off his list. <laughs> wow. More fool him, and uh, you know he got the best out of you when when you're. Yeah, yeah that was my. That was my pinnacle of my time, was, was my Blackburn days with him. That was my pinnacle. Um, Jonathan Secker asks, who was your best centre-back partner at Rovers? You've mentioned a few as we've been going through. Uh, Henning, Henning, without a doubt. And not, no, no disrespect to Martin, but I felt very, very comfortable and sure with Henning. I played with some good centre-backs in my time. But Henning was Mr. Mr. Consistent. I think if a, a manager wants a centre-back to be seven out of ten every week, it was him. He was really re- very reliable. Um, and a good organiser, a good leader. Uh, not a lot of time for Henning and enjoy playing with him. Absolutely. And um, on a similar vein, Ashley again asks, um, who was the best player you played with? Yeah, well, it's two guys. You know, I think if he'd be playing the modern day game now, he'd be at a Spurs or a Chelsea dictating it. You know, don't forget in those days we played four four two. Yeah. So it was, you know, he, he had to do the, the ugly side of the game. He had Flickcroft there to do that, but he had to do you know, all the dog work as well. But now you have the luxury now of these lads sitting in holding midfielders. Can you imagine two guys now as a holding midfielder? Spraying the ball around, recollecting it off the back four, making incisive passes. You know, he scored some wonderful goals as well when he was high at the pitch. So I'd love to have seen him playing in a 4-3-3 system. Um, yeah. But it was a pleasure. He had a fag before the game. He had a fag ask, so is there, is there any two guy stories that, that you can maybe furnish us with to finish off? It's just, it, it, he, he, how relaxed he was you know in training he used to do this thing in training this trick in training which I used to just I used to fall on the floor laughing at it because it was so outrageous where he dragged the I can't even describe it on 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 air really Andy but one of the other things he used to do as well and he nearly got he nearly got us all into a fight in Tony Parks' testimonial with David Speedy because what he used to do was if the ball came to him hit his foot and then went in the air which never he never often miscontrolled the ball, but he pretended to catch it, but clap his, miss the ball as the ball came down, try and, try and catch it, but miss it, clap his hands, and then carry on playing. And it all happened that quickly. And 
he did it in that testimonial game against Tony, Tony Parks, a testimonial game. And David Speedy, who's always very, very fiery, didn't take too kindly to it, thought he was taking the, taking the, you know, taking the PIWS. And, and uh, Toddy and, Toddy and David Speedy came to nearly came to blows because Toddy oh. was no shrinking violent. Yeah, of course Andy Todd. Was, was yeah. There's another centre back I haven't mentioned. Toddy, yeah. top player of the year. So yeah, Toddy was Toddy was up there. Um, I, yeah, I didn't mention Toddy. He was very consistent and hard as nails. Had a checkered pass before he came in. Mark brought, um, Graham brought him in, but did very well for the club. Good footballer and came from obviously a good background with his dad. But mm. yeah, Toddy. But Toddy and Speedy nearly came to blows. So it was meant to be a nice, gentle testimonial game for Tony two guys tricks were, were, were getting us all in a, all in a scrap you know with a with the great side of the of the of the 90s which which was there that day so he was he was a pleasure to play with and him smoking when you go in the toilet half time and see two guys in there having a fag thinking wow this you know it's unbelievable isn't it it's it's like he can just go out and perform and he's having a fag and Graham let him do it because he can get yeah. the best out of it Absolutely. And when we went down to, when we go down to London to stay in a hotel before a London game, there was hundreds and hundreds of Turkish fans in the hotel reception waiting for him. Really? He was that much, he was that much of a hero um, um, when when we went down there. And then one more story, and I won't go on, Andy, because you have a good no time. But um, Mark Hughes, when Mark Hughes came, I remember him sitting in the dressing room saying, when he played for Manchester United in the Champions League, they were playing away at Galatasaray. And he always remembers Alex Ferguson saying to the players, they've got this young kid called Two Guy. Watch out for him. And Sparky always said he was brilliant that day for them. And then obviously Sparky came to play with him. So he remembers the time when he played against him for Galatasaray. So like one legend talking about another legend, you know. And, and Two Guy was certainly that when he... Um, and it was such a... I think it was a massive... Well, he must go down as one of the best signings Rose have ever made, really. Yeah. Yeah, has to. And it's funny you mentioned him being um, kind of a, a legend. Recently, we always have been the club account have been running like a, a club legend sort of poll, which I think Tony yeah. Parks ended up winning. But two guy was was beating off, you know, proper legends like Brian Douglas and and people, really? off people left, right, and centre. Really? Honestly, the fan base and, and me included absolutely love two guy. And uh, you can see why so he kind of carried himself with a real charisma and panache. And the, the yeah, he had, he, he, had, he had a lot of charisma, didn't he? he, had a, mm. uh, he I can remember watching a, a Sky game Rovers were playing after I'd left. Sam Allardyce was in charge. And the game was being played. And all of a sudden, there was this massive eruption. The fans were going, man, I thought, where's that coming from? What's happened? What's happened? Off, off, something's happened off the ball. It was only two guys had made his entrance in that top corner from the car park yeah. and was walking in front of the homestand there. And that's what, you know, he just, he obviously wasn't playing that day. He's either injured or suspended. And, uh, and he, he's obviously taken the headlines away from the, from the spotlight, away from the match because he just walked into the stadium. But he used to talk during the game and like, just not shout, but just talk to you. And it was like yeah. so calming. The way he played the game was so calming, but his, his conversations during the game to me, I think, Jesus, two guys, we're in the middle of a, <laughs> middle of a we're in the middle of a, we're in the middle of a, you know, away from home at Chelsea getting, Pummeled and all, and he trying to hang on, and he's just chatting away to you, and so made the game look so easy. Yeah, he doesn't do much talking now. I, I don't think I've seen an interview with him since he left. But, you know, no, he... I, don't, I don't know where he, I don't know where he's got. Has he gone back to? I think he's gone back to Turkey now, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I've got his shirt in my room. 
I asked, I asked him for his shirt. He gave me one of his shirts at the end because he's one of the best players I play with. So I managed to get a shirt off him and he signed it. So that was nice. Nice. Um, I will just finish with one final question, though. Um, you obviously you're still involved in the game. You're actually still involved in the championship, so <coughs> you're a good person to ask. Do you see Rovers now upwardly mobile on the way back, hopefully to the Premier League um, sometime yeah, soon? Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, I've, I've, I've met Tony recently. I was I was at um, Brockhall for a 23s game. We brought our 23s up there, and I, I popped into the, the train ground to see some of the staff there, and who were still there for my time, and I had a quick chat with Tony and. It's nice that you've had that level of consistency in keeping a manager. You know, um, it, it's um, getting him out of the first division or the League One must have been tough because any promotion is tough. So he's done that and you consistently perform at the top. It's always going to be hard, as we said, Andy, with all the, the clubs spending this sort of money. You know, the parachute payments. When Burnley came down, they went straight back up because of the money. We've got Derby, who spent a lot in the, over the last few years, you know. So it, this league is, is tougher than any other league. But... I think all Rovers fans want, after what probably happened to the relegation, is the club being competitive at that end of the table. There's no divine right to get promotion. Um, and it has to be built slowly. And I know that people want success straight away, but that doesn't happen. After the tough times the club's been through, um, it is wonderful to see them where they are. You know, it's close to my heart. I'm a Yorkshireman. And Dad always said, you know, the friendliest people he's met are Lancastrians. And that, you know, Dad's a Yorkshireman, but I'm, I'm you know... I, having a chat with you is just bring back some wonderful memories for me and yeah. and i'm got some lifelong friends from that from that time there yeah and you know we i'd just like to say thank you on behalf of rovers fans for what you did for the club i think you're a fantastic signing for us and uh without without people like you we wouldn't be we wouldn't have had those times so um, that's a small cog and in a, in a really good a good mm. a big cog you know there's some great you know, great memories and great players and it's nice to share these moments with you and, and with some of the Blackburn fans and they've always been very very good to me when I come back to that club and it's a shame I, I live in the south now or in, well in Oxfordshire so otherwise I'll be back more often and um, they've always been good to my family when I come back there I just hope you go on next season well this season get when it gets finished I know it's strange times but could be competitive and and he would make the he would that always that hard place to go. I think he always had a reputation throughout football. Don't want to go to Blackburn. You don't yeah. want to go to Blackburn on a Tuesday night as an away team. <laughs> no. Well, hopefully we get that back and like I say, we get back into the Premier League and we kindle some of those fires that have been lost. But thank you yeah, again for your time today, you Craig. Again. And uh, I really appreciate you spending time with us. Pleasure, Andy. Sorry for sorry for being late. But nice talking to you. No problem. So we Growing up, you and your buddies were always on the same page. Thursday was pickup basketball night. Saturday was an Xbox gaming binge, but then the buddies started falling off one by one. So what if they all have that ring on their finger and you're the only single bachelor left? You've got your own bling. And this one doesn't come with any commitment, just a few really good moments of chill bliss. Why the sheets not go for the gold? For a limited time at Sheets, get your hands on a $3.99 milkshake like the Toffrees, made with Hershey's Heath Bars, unwind with golden ribbons of buttery caramel and a heaping scoop of whipped cream. And don't forget, you can save $1 when you order on the app. At Sheets, there are endless options when it comes to delicious drinks, coffee house style cold brews, hot coffees, lattes, shakes, refreshers, and so much more. 
Everything is customizable, so you always get exactly what you want. And when we say always, we mean 24-7, 365. 